Take your Bibles now and open up uh, to 2 Peter chapter 3, and I'm going to pray. I feel like I'm forgetting something. Am I forgetting something? Anybody? No. Thanks, Adam. Father, in Jesus' name, we, we love you. We really do. And I pray in Jesus' name now that your word would go out and do what it accomplishes. It says in Isaiah 55 that your word is like water, and you say, come to the water, come and buy and eat. You who have no money, just come and get fed and filled. You go on to say that your word is like snow, and it's like rain, and it just fills the, the mountains with that snowpack, and it, it comes down, and it fills the reservoirs, and it waters the trees, and it doesn't return void, but it does stuff. You say that about your word. You also say in the New Testament that your word corrects us, it instructs us, it comforts us, more desired your word than the honeycomb, the psalmist says. And I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that we would rest in your word today. I pray for every brother and every sister here that they would come to know you more and love you and see you as you are. I pray, Lord, for help in teaching today. You know, it's been a really busy year. It's been a busy couple weeks, and I just trust you. So, Lord, be glorified in this time. I pray for the Sunday school kids, too. How fun, Lord. May they be blessed. May the teachers be anointed. May there be joy. May every little kid, oh Lord, today confirm in their hearts that God is for them, not against them, that God loves them and has a plan for them, and that they want to live their lives for the glory of God and the good of others. May kids get saved today. I thank you again for all you've done and all you're going to do. Would you today take care of us, we pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Peter is writing to the church his final farewell address. He's going to die. There is no relief. There is no rescue. There is no rebuttal from the sentence that he was facing, which was death. Caesar Nero would kill Peter. And in light of that, instead of calling Johnny Cochran and getting a lawyer team together and looking for a state senator to come in and finding some loophole in Nero's law system, Peter simply says, guys, while you're on earth, make sure you put your focus on heaven. While you're suffering in this world, while things don't go the way you want them or anticipate them or expect them to go, which is his reality, but it's also not just his reality, it's everyone's reality. He says, instead of trying to escape and get out and fix it, focus your mind and attention above. And the way we do that is by adhering to what he called the more sure word, the Bible. Remembering what the prophets of old had said and remembering what the gospel say and then remembering what the epistles say. Staying in the word in a world gone mad so we might not let our hearts grow cold, but instead that our hearts would flow with love and that you and I, listen, would be on mission for what Jesus is doing. And he declares emphatically in 2 Peter chapter 3 that all that we know, everything down here, it's all going to burn. God's going to wrap it all up and throw it in the recycle bin and start over. And with that in mind, he says, so what ought you to do with your time? How ought you to then navigate your days knowing these things? <sighs> Don't you look forward to that day when the recycle truck comes? When God says, let's do it over. Let's start over. Let's do it over. And this time it's going to be different. There's not going to be any sin. And there's not going to be any corruption. And there's not going to be any evil. And that's God's intention. And that's good news for you and me. And that's the hope of heaven. It's the blessed hope of our assurance 
that we hope in the things that God has given to us. Now let's read uh, what we began last week, and I want you just to kind of catch the text here because chapter three is stand-alone-ish from chapter two. Chapter two was a warning that not everyone's okay. Not everyone's telling the truth. There's false prophets and false teachers and heretics and heresies. Not everything you think is okay. You guys realize that, right? Not everything you hear is okay. Not everything that the public school system or the government teaches us or that you concoct in your own mind, not all that's okay. Some of it's false and needs to be vetted through God's word. Heresy, again, is anything, doctrine or belief or practice that leads us away from God and away from God's people and away from God's mission. It's It's heretical. It's not true. It's not, not what we want to be a part of. In chapter two, it was a heavy warning. We spent two, maybe three weeks there. Now in chapter three, he says, beloved, I now write to you this second epistle in both of which he wrote first and second Peter. By the way, some scholars wonder who wrote first and second Peter. It doesn't take a brilliant person. He says he wrote it in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. You're going to forget stuff. I'm just going to remind you. Don't be, don't be mad at yourself when you forget. Don't be mad at your kids when they forget. Don't be mad at your spouse when they forget. Don't be mad at your neighbor when they forget. Don't be mad at your pastor when he forgets. Thanks, Patty. He says, I'm reminding you that you be mindful, verse 2, of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. He says, I'm reminding you to read the word, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. Stop right there, eyes up here. He says, guys, God has a plan. His plan is recorded in his word. Make sure you stay in his word because in the last days, scoffers will mock your faith and your word, willfully forgetting that God has upheld everything he's ever said he was gonna do, that God has perfectly pulled off every judgment and every justice that was necessary for his kingdom to advance that God has, as Neil pointed out today, not failed. And people willfully forget that. And sometimes we even, it's fun to blame the big, bad, ugly world out there, isn't it? Man, those bad pagans. And yet I find myself sometimes willfully forgetting God's goodness, willfully forgetting. I just choose not to believe in the things of God for for whatever reason in that moment. And Peter instructs us, and he says, guys, there's evidence, there's proof. You can rest in him. Verse 7, this is where we'll begin today. He says, but... The heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by that same word. God's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. That's enough. You guys are going to eat up all the time if you keep doing that stuff. I'm just kidding. He's got the whole world in his hands, preserved. That's Peter's admonition to you. It's his admonishment. It's preserved, but it's also, he says in verse 7, now preserved by the same word, our reserve for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Stop right there, eyes up here. I love verse 7, the first word, but. It's a very important but. The Bible's full of important buts. Where there's a transitional thought, a, a contrasting view. These things are happening down here, but God wants us to understand that the heavens and the earth are preserved. 
He's holding them together. We talked about this last week, that the atomic glue, Colossians 1, chapter 16, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, says that God holds all things together by his word, and they're preserved until the day of judgment that's reserved for ungodly men for this world that needs to be judged. There's hope in that. Why are we still here right now? Because God is preserving everything. Because God is still saving. Peter's gonna help us to understand that while the world is going down, okay, God is raising people up. Harvest time, that's what we're doing right now. Harvest time will continue until the day of judgment time. Until that day, God is saving souls. Remember Abraham when the angels told him, we're gonna smoke Sodom and Gomorrah? And Abraham began to intercede, and he prayed, and said, would you preserve it for 50 people if there's 50 righteous guys? And God said, yeah, for sure. And then he went on and said, what, what if there's 45? I'm not trying to be weird, but what if there's only 45? Would you, would you have mercy? He said, yes. Whoa, sorry. What about 35? It's 35, and what about 25? And he got all the way down to 10. Would you? And God was preserving, even while he was reserving the things that he had intended. This is what God is doing in our life right now. If you wonder why we're still here, why you're still here, and when we study, let me just make sure you guys understand this. The Bible gives us prophetical promises. That is prophecies that are declaration of what God is going to do and their promises. You can take them to the bank. And you and I need to study those prophecies and to know them, to understand what God is doing, what God's heart is, because if you know what God is doing and what God's heart is, you'll know what you're supposed to be doing and what your heart is supposed to be doing. I mean, don't nod too much or raise your hand, but how many of you guys are just mad at all the evil and crazy people in the world right now? And you just like, hey, Lord, you want me to push the button or are you going to push it? <laughs> Is this a two-man thing? You know, I can, I, can, I can help you, Lord. I don't know, you know? And the Lord says, I don't take any pleasure in the death of the wicked. I'm waiting. I mean, how do you? When, when someone's driving slow on Highway 101 in front of you. <laughs> Lord, I found your enemy. They're before me. <laughs> and the Lord wants us to know, no, 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 no. I love people. I'm preserving everything. Well, what for? Well, there will be a day. It is reserved. Look at verse 7 again. But the heavens are on the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Here's the good news. God will judge ungodly men in perdition. He will take care of it. He will fix it. He has taken that responsibility. He has not asked you and I to do it. As a matter of fact, when we study prophetical promises, okay, the idea is not that we would speculate when he's going to do it. You ever done that before? Try and figure out when God's going to return and do all the math and you pull your crayon out and a napkin and write down in the war 1967 and you get it all figured out and you're trying to speculate when the Lord... The prophecies and promises aren't for our speculation but for our motivation. They're not for our to have in our Bible studies more information. Listen, it's truly that you would have transformation. That when you know that God has a plan, that God knows what's going on, that God loves everybody equally and has a plan for people to be saved, that that would transform you. Not just inform you, not just give you something to speculate about, but give you something to be motivated about. And I want to stress that as I was preparing this and considering some of the points that I hope to teach today, even putting them into practice in my own life. Luca, do you believe this? 
Lord, if this is true, Luke, if this is true, do you, is this going to change the way you look at your wife, change the way you look at your kids, change the way you look at your job, change the way you look at your community, change the way you look at everything? And the answer is yes, I hope so. Yesterday I did a memorial here at South Beach Church, and it was for Elmer Osling, and he's a local guy in our town, South County, and it was a great memorial. They were talking about stuff. I think these guys were actually born when the dinosaurs were just, you know, kind of tapping out. And, <laughs> and so they were telling stories about, you know, ancient of day stuff, you know, and it, one, one quote was, and then we got electricity in our house, you know, and <laughs> it was awesome. And I was just taking notes like, wow, this is crazy. And, and, one, and Carl, uh, uh, Elmer's brother got up and he was telling stories about making butter and stuff and just, you know, I can barely find the butter at Fred Meyer's. I don't know how to make it, but... Uh, <laughs> But Carl got up and he gave he and his brother's testimony. And when he gave the testimony, he said, here's the deal, guys. We were just normal kids and, and we, we would fight. And he, gave this, he said, we would fight. It was really bad. We would fight and it was, it was bad, evil. And then we got saved. He said, we went to a Holy Ghost revival tent meeting and Elmer got saved first and he was born again, filled with the Holy Spirit. And it took Carl a little bit longer in, in his life to get the Holy Spirit. He said, but the thing is, is when the Holy Spirit came into their lives, they were changed. They were transformed. They were motivated differently. They weren't perfect. But that unregenerate spirit and the idea behind Bible prophecy and promises and God's word is to transform us, to change us. Lest we leave South Beach Church here this morning having stuffed our minds full of knowledge and puffed up in our hearts and offensive to the people out there that aren't so much in their medical condition, their spiritual condition, aren't so much in need of police, spiritual police, okay? What they need is spiritual doctors. When there's a car wreck on Highway 101, a couple different agencies show up that the police show up to check on things and make sure laws weren't broken and to hold people accountable. But the EMTs also show up to wrecks, ambulances. And it doesn't matter who's bleeding and whose fault it is. The people driving the ambulance are gonna care for every single person there that's hurt. I'm not gonna ask a lot of questions about who done it and were you wearing a seatbelt and were you texting. They're gonna ask questions like, where does it hurt? Where are you bleeding? And when we find ourselves reading God's word, understanding that God will judge ungodly men. This is good news because I'm frustrated just like everybody else with the way the world is going. We here in America, I believe, only see the tip of the iceberg of injustice, we really do. What we experience here in America is just the tip of the iceberg. In the rest of the world, the other 95% of humanity in the world, everyone else, okay, they see the rest the pain and the difficulty, the abuse, the sadness, the poverty. God sees all that. And so when I read this, he says that it is reserved, verse 7, for the day of judgment. He's got the whole world in his hands. And that helps me to know that God knows what he's doing. And what does God expect from me? He wants me, like Elmer, like Carl, to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to be different to be changed. Matter of fact, this is best evidenced, at least for me, in Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one, the disciples look at Jesus right after his resurrection, right prior to his ascension, and they ask the same thing. Are you gonna fix it all now, all this stuff? And Jesus simply says to them, no. 
I want you to go love people in my name. He says it twofold, actually. I want you, first, this is really important. I want you to first go get changed. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You need to be changed from the inside out, right? Every day, we need to be filled. Throughout the book of Acts, you see Peter and Paul and the apostles are filled and refilled and filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a continual filling process. And what are they filled for? To be witnesses. That word witness in the Greek, we get our English word martyr from. Marteo. It's the same word. Go out and be, lay, lay your life down. But Lord, aren't you going to fix it all right now? Isn't that our, just our quickest question? Lord, I voted. <laughs> I didn't vote. Whatever it is, you, you know. I object. Yeah, we get it. Me too. What do you want me to do, Lord? Get the word. Get the power. Okay? And go be a witness. Love people. That's the program of heaven. That's the agenda of heaven. God knows the timing. Jesus went on to say to Peter, James, and John, the the same guys that we learned from, he said to them in Acts chapter one, the times and seasons of those things of God's, of the return of Christ, those are in the Father's hands. Don't worry about it. Now you can piece together some things and conclude that we're, we're coming up on those days. But I think it's not our problem. It's not our problem. Your problem is your neighbor. Love God with all your heart, with soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor is yourself. Jesus laying down the commandments. But what about this? What about that? Unless you're a master in theology of commandment number one and commandment number two, okay, don't worry about commandment number three. Just, you know what I'm saying? Do those, because Jesus went on to say, if you do commandment number one and commandment number two, all the other law and prophets hinge on these two things. It, 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 whew, you're, 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 you're hooked up. But if you're not loving God and loving people, that's what God intends for us to do. Verse seven, there's an important but. In verse eight, there's another important but. He says, but, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day, that what God is doing, you need to be reminded of and stirred up, that God is more patient than you understand. It goes on to say in verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness or slowness, but he is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Guys, this verse should be committed to memory, should be committed to your hearts. Why is God allowing this relationship to last so long in its unhealthiness? Why is God allowing this person to walk so far away from the Lord? Why are we even here on planet Earth right now? Shouldn't you do something, Lord? Have you not heard my prayers? And the Lord is not slow, as some count slowness, but instead he's long-suffering. There's a difference. God is patient, willing that none should perish. We've prayed that thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but what we're praying is my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, let me have my way this day. And the Lord says, no, I'm gonna be more patient than you are, Luke, every single time. I'm going to be long-suffering. Because you see, the Lord is outside of time and space. A day to the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. Jesus died and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven 2,000 years ago. 
And for 2,000 years, the church has been tapping their clocks and I think this is broken. We're waiting for you to return. Matter of fact, as soon as Jesus ascended, the disciples didn't stop looking. They just stayed put. Until some angels came and slapped them on the back of the head. So what are you guys doing? He said to go into Jerusalem, get some power and go love people. Oh, he was just kind of waiting for his return. Thought he'd come right back. I don't know, you know. And for 2,000 years, people have been waiting for Jesus to return. And Peter says, scoffers are going to come up. Mockers are going to come up. Your lusts are going to grow in that 2,000-year period. And people are going to say, where is God? I thought he said he was coming back. But Peter goes on to say to the Lord, a 1,000 years is as one day. In other words, Jesus has only been gone for just over two days. That's not very long. Waiting for humans. That's what he says. Interesting. God's outside of time and space. He's created this space-time continuum that we live in on purpose to accomplish his kingdom and to build the next heaven and the next earth. But he's outside of time and space. Matter of fact, in 1916, uh, uh, Albert Einstein introduced the theory of relativity, which basically says that as objects move quicker through time, uh, it slows down the process of time. As things speed up, time slows down. And he went on to propose that if you actually go as fast as the speed of light, time stops all together. God has declared himself to be light. In him is no time. We're waiting. Aren't you guys waiting? Aren't you guys waiting right now? Trip out. Do you know that God's not waiting? He's not tapping his foot wondering. He is completely at peace outside of time and space. This idea is almost too much for us to fathom and understand because we're locked into what we would call a timeline where we have a definite beginning and a definite ending. God says, I have no beginning and I have no ending. We're not able to compute that. As a matter of fact, someone asked Albert Einstein when he was proposing the theory of relativity of time and space in the continuum. They said, does anybody understand what you're saying? And he said, only one other person, but I haven't met him yet. (laughs) Nobody even knew what he was talking about. Here's the theory. If you go as fast as the speed of light, things will slow down so much that if you were actually to go the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second, to the next nearest star, it would take you four and a half years to go past our star, the sun, and you would get to that star. And let's say you did a little pit stop there and got some gas at the Astro Station and that's funny, and and came back to planet Earth, it would take you nine years at the speed of light to get to that star and back. But because of the speed you were traveling at, time would slow down for you, and it would continue here. When you got back in nine years here, 6,000 years would have passed on planet Earth. Talk about the extreme oil of Olay. Ladies want to look younger, just got to move faster, you know. <laughs> oil, you, you guys heard of that? This is the face cream? I don't know. See, guys, God is outside of time and space. He's patient. He's not in a hurry. And he says to us, the Lord is not slack, verse 9, concerning his promise. He's not willing that any should perish. And he tells us in verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up so much in verse 10. But the first thing I want you to underline or circle or memorize, but the day of the Lord will come. I've got that circle, just it. It will come. The day of the Lord will come. It's a promise. Peter's rehearsing this promise that Jesus had told him, that the apostles had written in their epistles, that Paul had shared with everyone in his revelation. And Peter here on death row, instead of saying, Lord, get me out of here, he said, the day of the Lord will come. 
It's the hope of heaven. Colossians chapter three says, set your mind on things above, not on things below. Having this mindset of heaven, this understanding that it will come as a thief in the night. Wouldn't it be awesome if a thief gave you a heads up when they showed up next time? They don't tend to do that. The idea here is that it's going to happen like a thief in the night, but pay attention, please, believers. This is important for the timeline. If you are a believer, it will not come as a thief in the night. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says the exact same phrase. I'll, I'll read it to you. I think I've got it marked here. 1 Thessalonians 5. Paul says this in 1st, I don't have a mark. 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says this. He says, that day will come as a thief in the night. But not for you who are of the household of faith. For you already and aware of these things. And it will not overtake you. In other words, Christian, in other words, believer, as you see the days growing darker, and as you see the prophecies coming nearer, and as you see the promises becoming brighter, you won't be overtaken by the day of the Lord, which will be the rapture of the church, which is our next timeline event. But you anticipate it, and you see it happening. And the rest of the world will wake up and say, Ah! I've been robbed! But you who are believers will not be overtaken. And you know these things are coming. These prophecies are designed to motivate us. They're designed to transform us. They're designed to make you a different and better Christian where you live differently. He tells us in verse 10, he says that the thief will come in the night and the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Everything's gonna burn. By the way, Bible students, the rapture will happen where the church will be taken to heaven, rescued from the time of Jacob's trouble, the great tribulation, which will be a seven-year period on planet earth. It'll be the day of the Lord will begin and the tribulation and trials will henceforth begin on earth, will be in heaven. And at the end of seven years, Jesus will return with his bride and set up his millennial kingdom, which is a thousand year reign on planet earth. And at the end of the thousand years and at the end of the seven years and after all of that, everything, this is the beginning of the culmination of that time period, will be burned with great heat and all of the elements will melt and everything in heaven and earth will be done away with and renewed. Now the words that he uses here, melting, great heat, elements. These are all Greek words that would in indicate some sort of atomic, cataclysmic, next level explosion and separation. Matter of fact, that word for elements is the same word that we would use to describe the alphabet in the Greek, alpha and beta and, and, and gamma and all these things that are associated with atomic radiation and kind of this end times reality, how the Lord is going to rekindle and renew and to burn planet Earth. Peter says it's gonna happen. Verse 11, here's the purpose, therefore. If you're a Bible student, the therefore is always Therefore, a reason. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Stop right there, eyes up here. Peter concludes now with what we would say a practical matter. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that, well, this is, awesome might not be the right word. Isn't that crazy? Isn't this stuff kind of crazy? 
That God says, I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna burn it all up. I'm gonna start over the rapture of the church and seven-year tribulation where I judge a God-rejecting, Christ-rejecting, sinful world. And then I restore and come down and have a thousand-year millennial reign. This is all, we just went through the book of Revelation. All this is taught in there in detail. And then all this is declared and then God is going to renew everything. Now, let's just be honest. How much of this is outside of your pay grade? How much is outside of your understanding, your intelligence? Pastor Luke used the word elements. Smarty pants stuff. We don't have to understand it. But you do have to believe it. And when you believe it, okay, like a child, childlike faith. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. And what does that do with you and I who were born into this world as babies with nothing except the heartbeat of God that he put in your chest? Submitting to him. But he gives us the instruction in verse 11. He says, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct? Because everything's going to be dissolved. Man, don't take the things of this world so seriously. Don't get so wrapped up in your house. Don't get so wrapped up in your car. Don't get so wrapped up in this physical body. Nothing wrong with having a house. Nothing wrong with having a car. Nothing wrong with having a physical body. But since all these things will be dissolved, he says, it's not going to last forever and ever. What kind of person should you to be? In holiness and in godliness. And I believe this is to motivate us. The first thing he says is, I want you guys to be holy. If, if all this is going to happen, if this is going out, if God's got a timeline, if I know what I'm doing and, and I'm holding all these things by my word and it's been reserved and preserved and it's been proven, there's evidence and all that, then shouldn't that drive you to live a holy lifestyle? Shouldn't that drive you, knowing that the day will come as a thief in the knife? You're not going to be caught off guard. You're going to see all the pieces coming together and the pieces are fitting together perfectly for this puzzle. And it should motivate you to walk in a greater purity because if you believe that the Lord could return, could rapture the church at any moment, it's gonna keep you from doing silly stuff. First John 3, 3 says, the person who has the hope of God's return purifies himself. You ever forget your driver's license at home when you're driving around? Sinner. And when your driver's license is at home and you're driving, you're like, oh, don't you just drive a little better? You know what I'm saying? You're not popping wheelies. You're not jumping curbs. You're just kind of staying in your lane. Or maybe your tags get expired or you're, something's wrong. You're like, oh, you're, ah, you know. Because you know that time is short. I got to get, you know. Do. And it's to motivate you and I to not act like fools, to not cast off restraint, to not lose our minds. Not just purity, though, but the Bible tells us that we're to be also those who are growing in peace. The world around us is so crazy. Everyone's freaking out. I'm, I'm just as guilty as the rest of us when the economy goes up and down and things don't happen in my timeline, they don't happen in my way. But because we know these things, what manner of person ought you to be in, in purity, but also in peace? Look at verse 14 at the very end there. We haven't got there yet. But he says, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and without blemish. Do you know that the number one drug, the number one medicine in America is not for COVID? It's not the number one problem. The number one medicine being sold right now is not for malaria. It's not the problem. The number one medicine being sold in America right now isn't for toothaches. We don't have a toothache problem. Did you know what the number one medicine in America is? Antidepressants. 
Now I can't stand up here and say I don't myself get overwhelmed and depressed by life. To say that if you're on antidepressants or on medication is, makes you different than anyone else is not my intention. But we live in a very sad time. Our country and humanity is perplexed and is overwhelmed and is depressed. Knowing these things will be. What manner of person ought you to be? To be found in perfect peace. Did you know that if you're a Christian, the handwriting of requirements that is against you has been forgiven, has been done away with? There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter one, Romans chapter eight, verse one. Did you know that the Bible says for Christians to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord? Did you know that the Bible says that we who need help and mercy in our time of need can run boldly into his throne room of grace? To find him, he's waiting there for us. He's provided that through Jesus Christ. You and I have to remind ourselves of this, though, because our peace gets stolen, our peace gets robbed, our peace gets confused. Knowing these things ought to drive you to walk in purity, but also to walk in that peace. To speak peace to people, to speak peace to yourself. Have you done this, Christian? Have you taken his word and applied it and hidden it in your heart in order that when those days of depression, anxiety, fear, and overwhelmingness come to you, you can rehearse the promises of God, the plan of God, the program of God? Lord, what are you up to? What's going on? It's so hard down here. And he says, yeah, I know. John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come back and take you to my, myself. And if it weren't so, I would have told it to you. Thomas looked at Jesus and said, oh, we don't know where you're going. We don't know what's happening. We don't know the way, is what he said. And what did Jesus reply in John 14? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Peter on death row gives us this hope, the hope of heaven. With the Lord, a day is a thousand years. Guys, he's not slow. This is, it, everything is on time. It's all cooking up perfectly. And he gives us some more instruction. Verse 11, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. These three things God is asking you and I to participate in, to take seriously, that we would grow in holiness, that we'd become those pure people, that we would have that peace and not be walking in anxiety and depression. But the third thing that he asks us to take responsibility over is our purpose. Looking for and hastening the day of the Lord. This is not a passive waiting on God's program and economy. It is an active participation on what Jesus Christ is doing. You know the difference between active and passive waiting on the Lord. When you're waiting for the Lord to do something, you are being passive. I'm just going to wait for the Lord to do it. He said he wants to love my neighbor. I'm going to watch him do it. He ain't doing it yet. 
The Lord said, no, I love your neighbor. I want to love, love your neighbor through you. I want you to actively participate in my plan and program. I want you to do it. I want you to love your wife, you to love your husband, you to love your kids. I want you to do these things. And God cooperates with us. So often in our Christianity, we just kind of look around and say, man, it's a mess. I can't wait for the Lord to do something. And he says, get filled with the power and go and serve. That's what I'm doing. This is your purpose. You should have that purity. You should have that peace. But you should also have your purpose. If you don't know your purpose, you're going to do foolish things. You're going to cast off restraint. The Bible says with the person who loses that revelation, that understanding, that purpose for their life, they're going to do silly things. But the person who knows the will of the Lord, who knows the mind of the Lord, will stay on the mission of the Lord. Interesting word that he uses here. Look at verse 12 again. He says, looking for, I've got that circle that's active, and hastening the coming of the day of God. And he goes on to talk about what that's going to look like. Did you know you can actually hasten the day of God? I want you guys to take this seriously with me. The Bible actually says that we can hurry up the return of the Lord. Now, let me quantify that and contrast that. God is sovereign and has put all of the sovereign details and dates in his own hand, and he does what he does the way he has decided to do it. Amen? Okay, God is sovereign, and yet he is also co-opted and chosen to partner with you and I in the timeline and the events moving things forward and how the mission in the kingdom of God is being built. He is sovereign. He'll do whatever he's going to do, but he's chosen to do it through you and to me. And he says right here that we can hasten the coming of the day of the Lord. In other words, we can actually hurry up the return of Jesus Christ. How many of you guys want Jesus to return a little sooner? Nine of you. Okay, the rest of you, man, <laughs> invite me over for dinner. What do you got? Like, I want the Lord to return. As a matter of fact, I can prove this to you. Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way. Thy kingdom come. He went on, thy will be done on earth even as it is. Thy kingdom come. It is a request. The very first thing Jesus said, pray for my kingdom to come. Pray for my kingdom to come. You can hurry up the plans of the Lord. You can actually change the timeline of God in his sovereign cooperation. Let me give you two Old Testament texts to help you know that I'm not being heretical here. God brought the children of Israel to the promised land and said, okay, we're going in. You guys ready? And because of their disobedience, because of their negativity, because of their hard hearts on what God had planned for them, instead of going right in, what should have been, it could have been an 11-day walk in, God decided to take a 40-year journey through the wilderness disciplining them. You parents know how this works. You want to bless your kids, don't you? You prepare great things for them, but if they act like fools, man, they ain't getting it in 11 days. It's timeout time. And it changes the timeline of parental love and giving. When the, your kids, oh, wow, thought you were ready for this. Another example where the timing of God was changed is when God told Jonah, go to Nineveh, and here's the message I want you to preach to them. In 40 days, I'm going to smoke y'all. <laughs> Read it, Jonah chapter 2, it's crazy. And so Jonah went and he preached that message and the king of Nineveh and the people of Nineveh heard it and they repented and word got back to God and he saw their hearts. And he said, okay, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to relent. Instead of what I was going to do in 40 days, that was my word, the prophetical word, it got changed because of their softness, their willingness to participate. Now, you who know history, you know that the children of Nineveh, the nation of Nineveh, would after about 120, maybe 230 years after that revival, they would fall back into sin and God would wipe them out. It did happen. The prophecy did happen, but it was 
It was, it was paused, if you would. The timing was changed. The, but Peter says this, looking for and hastening the day of the coming of the Lord. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. And the way that we do this is, is twofold. Number one, it's through prayer. Wouldn't it be awesome if we took that? Jesus was asked, teach us to pray. And so the first thing he says, thy kingdom come. Wouldn't it be awesome if we began to pray more vehemently and more fervently? Lord, bro, we're ready. We're ready. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. As a matter of fact, at the very end of the Bible, John is talking to Jesus, and Jesus says, I'm coming. And John shouts out, even so, come quickly, you know. Prayer. Prayer. And prayer, by the way, will purify your heart. Have you, have you grown cold? Because of the elongation of time and what Peter said? This is taking forever. I, would have, I thought he was going to wrap this whole thing up back in 1967 when Israel won that six-day war. Man, that was time. The prophecies were fulfilled. We were ready to go and thought it was happening. How many of you guys were not believers or even alive in 1967? Raise up your hand, okay? You wouldn't have made the cut. And so God said, no, I, I, got, I got a few more kids that are not on the bus yet. As a matter of fact, the Bible says when the fullness of time comes, that is when, and I believe there are various passages of Scripture that teach that there is a, a specified amount of people who will be saved God knows. He's not surprised. There is a specified amount of people who will be saved, and when that final person gets saved, the rapture of the church will happen. Two ways we can hasten the day. Number one, pray. Number two, continue to share and witness. Do you believe that? That at the fullness of time, when that last person, that last non-believer says, Lord, would you forgive me of my sins? And would you come into my heart and help me to live for you and take me to heaven when I die? Amen. Boom! I don't know if it's going to make that sound during the rapture, but it will, you know, it'll be like a thief in the night. there's somebody who hasn't given their life to the Lord yet. And when they do, we're going to heaven. If that's you, would you please figure it out? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, I, it's all coming down. Guys, I, I hate to take away from the scriptures in any way with humor or, or who I am. And so I really want us to lean into the things of God. In a world gone nuts, complex problems, real pain, real corruption, real evil, the world is in a real bad place right now. It always has been. And Peter says, guys, knowing these things, what manner of person ought you to be? Walk in holiness. Take it seriously. Make more room for God than you are making room for the things of the world in your life. Don't be ripped off by cheap imitations and counterfeits. Make room for Jesus Christ and his mission and his kingdom. Walk in that peace. If you don't have peace right now, ask yourself and ask the Lord, why don't I have peace? Why am I anxious knowing these things? Why? What's, 
And it's found in Jesus and his provision. And ask yourself that question, Lord, what's my purpose right now? What am I doing with my life? Your purpose is to be a witness. Your purpose is to lead as many people to Jesus as possible. Your purpose is to be that fresh aroma of Christ in every place you go. Your purpose is to shine Jesus' love to every single person, giving them an opportunity to reject or to accept Jesus Christ. That is your purpose. You are a witness, but Lord, what about them? And what about her? And what about that? Not your problem. You go get filled and be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and in the uttermost parts of the world. But Lord, what if after I've witnessed to that person, they don't like me? They didn't like you to begin with. <laughs> what if they reject me? They rejected him first. This world isn't going to be here, folks. It's not going to last. It's going to be burned up, renewed, redispersed. It's going, God has it all figured out. And so may the Lord give us that, I, that mindset of heaven, not things below. Would you close your eyes and, and bow your heads as we ask the Lord to give us practical application, personal conviction, and Holy Spirit transformation. Lord, in Jesus' name, may your word not return void, but may it have its perfect way in us. And, and I pray, Jesus, that we would be changed, every man and every woman here. We'd be more about your business. Lord, we've all lived our lives and seen things radically change in a second, in a moment where the phone call rings, where the news is delivered. And Lord, you have clearly declared to us that things are going to radically change in the future, that there is a timeline, there is a purpose, there is a power, there is a point for what we're doing and I pray in Jesus' name we would take those things seriously lest we get swept away with the things of this current culture that we're living in. Maybe if you're here this morning, you would say, Lord, I want to give my life to you. I do want to be saved. I, I don't want to be caught off guard. I want to live for you with my whole heart and my whole mind and my whole strength. If that's you, would you just raise up your hand right now and make that commitment to the Lord, that confession to him? Just put your hand up. My eyes are closed. I'm not looking. This is between you and him. Where you would say, yes, Lord, take me right now where I'm at. Use me, Lord, for your glory. Forgive me of my sins. Lord, I invite you into my life. Would you take me to heaven when I die? Would you use me for your glory and for others' good until then? We give our lives to you. Lord, all of us, you can put your hands down. Lord, all of us do that. We thank you for all you've done, Lord. Forgive us of our sins. Help us to be those who quickly forgive others and who walk near and dear to you. We love you very much. Bless us as we go now. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen, amen and amen. God bless you guys.